Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talkin' BS. My name is Van Santos, and as always, I'm joined by my old pal, Corey Bell. On the heels of last week's lighthearted episode on friendship, we decided to tackle a heavier topic this week. Mental health is something that only recently has become a topic of conversation in the mainstream. Corey and I talked about the various stigmas that come with mental health issues. We talked about some issues that we see in the systems that we have that are designed to treat and handle mental health problems. And as always, we discussed our own experiences. As a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at talkin underscore B underscore S, and you can find us on all major podcasting platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify Podcasts. You are now listening to episode eight on mental health. This is Talkin BS. We had a, a pretty good uh, conversation going on last week. Uh, a little, little fun one to kind of get back into the swing of things coming off the Thanksgiving break. But it led me down another avenue. All right. It, uh, we were talking, you know, a lot about friendship last week. If you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen. It's a very solid pod. A lot of fun stories. A lot of, a lot of more cheerful and joyful, uh, but emotional, right? And you know, talking about emotions and some of the things that you can come out with friends really got me thinking along the lines of mental health, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, uh, a friendship of general mental health and how these things can kind of been developed, how they are viewed in society and how we can kind of address them going forward. Uh, it's a topic that I don't know gets enough recognition and enough discussion uh, in society today. Uh, one that I think has a little stigma to it but something I think deserves a legitimate conversation. I think that mental health is one of those things. It's a, a very popular topic now in the public sphere. You know, it's a very popular topic to discuss. Uh, I think because for so long, it was something that was not talked about at all. Think about the masculinity episode, like talking men talking about their emotions that used to not ever, ever happen at all. So Definitely one of those things, one of those topics that's, uh, and I'm not going to say popular as a, as a good thing because it's it's a, difficult. It, it definitely dives down into a deeper part of uh, of your yourself as a person and your psyche and your ego and your mental stability. And there's a lot of lot of little offshoots that come with mental health conversation. But yes, uh, it was like as soon as we hung up the friendship episode we were thinking to ourselves or you, you brought it up uh but how friendship ties into mental health and i think there is a uh, a large correlation there definitely i mean i think you hit on a great point to start there with it's almost generational you know one of the kind of quips that i had for that is uh you know the, the previous generations didn't really deal with global warming so we're having to fix that so let's just fix mental health too i mean <laughs> shit we'll take it all on whatever right uh but i mean you're right right i mean it's, it's becoming more and more popular and more and more accepted to talk about. I mean, to the extent that if you look now, people like LeBron James are doing, you know, emotional mental health apps and commercials. And there's 8 million 
you know, things on your phone now that are supposed to help with your anxiety, even though I feel like your phone gives you more anxiety based right. on all the social media and all that apps already on there. Um, so, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a funny little catch 22 there of, of you know, trying to, to make itself better, but also presenting you with the same problem. But friendship for sure. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of what got us started here and how I guess you're perceived by your friends. You know, I, I don't know. Or if you're if you're having a bad day, who do you call? Right. How do you how do you get out of that funk? How do you get out of that? you know, a little, I don't know, you know, out of that bad mindset, if you fall down one. I mean, over 40 million people in the United States deal with some kind of mental health disorder, whether that's anxiety, depression, you know, an eating disorder, bipolar disorder, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of things that this kind of falls into. But having that support system is huge. I think it can go both ways when you, I mean, friends should be in quotations a little bit, right? I mean, if you're dealing with something difficult, a friend can most definitely pick you up. Even if you're not dealing with someone, just feeling a, a part of a community or having some sort of communal bond with either friends or a group, people that you can associate with. I feel like that is a large part of having a mentally healthy, stable lifestyle. You know, there are successful loners out there that that's just how they operate. I, I get that. Um, but I do think that for the most part, you know, having that sense of community is, is pretty important as far as grounding yourself, I guess. Flip side, you brought up popularity. I mean, we talked a lot in the social media episode about bullying and everything. And when I said friends in quotations, sometimes people who you think are your friends are actually, they're not good for your mental health. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty interesting dynamic there. And I can tell you that it's something that, you know, I made the quip earlier about the generational, you know, kind of mindset towards mental health. But, you know, we, yeah, again, not referencing back to other things we've already said, but we talked about, uh, you know, how we grew up, you know, not going to cry and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of a similar issue, right? You know, I buried any of that anxiety or any of those things that I thought, and, you know, it's something I've suffered with, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be very open about it. It's something that I've suffered with from uh, different times in my life, going through different things, especially growing up. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely not something to be taken lightly. I think that's probably part of the problem is that, you know, we have taken it a little bit for granted and a little light uh, to the point where, you know, we're, we're not giving it the, the attention that it deserves. And, and it, you know, it, to me, it's just as vital as physical health right? It is your mental health. If And your mental health may even be more important. It's just a lot more difficult, I guess, to diagnose and to see. So it becomes a little bit more subjective. You know, you can't see depression in an x-ray. That kind of makes it pretty difficult to, to see and, and harp on and diagnose and say, yeah, this is what's wrong. You know, it, it, it's hard, man. It's, it's something that you almost need that community uh, of friends, of someone, you know, who, who maybe understands you and, and can, can help you get through, you know, whether it be a difficult time or whether it be a joyful time. But there's also the side effect of having those friends that, you know, whether or not they mean to may put you down, right? I mean, they, they leave you out of something and that immediately takes you the other way, right? You know, that, that person that you may have looked at to, to do so much for you is now the one that's actually getting you into this kind of depressive state, and it's, it's, it's one of those things, it's, it's a hard balance, right? You brought up a good point. You know, mental health, it's, it's internal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the soul. You know, it, it's, 
a relationship that only you have with yourself, you know, yes, you bring other people into it, spouses, significant others, like you said, friends, but you know, at the end of the day, only the individual really knows what's going on inside to, you know, you, no one knows you better than yourself. Right. So one of the biggest questions I'm skipping, I'm skipping steps one, two, three through 30, and I'm going to step 31 biggest question that I always have, or just a, a thought that I have out there is there there's, there's room in there to maybe fabricate things and make things appear to be, or maybe make things externally appear to be worse than they are internally. And with, like I said, becoming more of an open book and people being able to talk more about it, I feel like sometimes people will use that to get attention. And that is a sad, that's a sad thing. What are your thoughts on, on people? No, I don't want to say faking, but that happens. People, people fake mental health issues for attention. And that is sad for the people that really have mental health issues that need that attention. Yeah. Well, it's, it kind of exact example reminded me of something that we're working through and trying to teach Jonah about right now. And this dude, he has the kindest heart in the world. I can attest. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we passed by a, a homeless guy and three days later, he asked me why I didn't help him. Like he didn't, he doesn't say anything. And then like, <laughs> he just come, Hey man, why didn't we, why didn't we do something for help him dad? I was like, so one of the things that we're doing for him that he wanted to do uh, that I'm pretty excited about. So we're doing this uh, for Christmas and we're giving out these bags and it's going to have just like toiletry items, just like travel size toiletries, socks, like water, like a $5 gift card to McDonald's, a couple little different things like that. And basically just a Ziploc bag that we're going to keep in each other's cars. We're going to put together about 25 of these things and put them in just kind of immediate family's cars and just have a little note from Jonah you know, hey, here you go, from Jonah, Jonah, right, wherever we go. Uh, so if we see some, because unfortunately you run into those people in the homeless kind of community who are taking advantage of that, who aren't really homeless, who have that Jaguar sitting around the corner, but they're, you know, all dungy and dressed up and, and trying to panhandle on the street corner. And that kind of makes you not really want to help, right? I mean, it kind of has that same mindset, that same stigma to it. But when it comes to mental health, I mean, one in five people are affected by it. Over 10 million people a year go through some kind of mental health issue. And like, it's, it's, it's a, it's honestly, it's a pandemic. I mean, when you, when you break it down like that, that's kind of what it becomes. It's, you know, if you just look back over the past decade, depression rates among teenagers have risen over 60% from 2009 to 2017 suicide rates among teens are up nearly 20%. And if that's not a pandemic, I don't know what is. I can't, I can't get away from, I'm thinking to myself, what's the cause of all of this, right? And I think connectivity is big. You know, yep. your ability, each of our own ability to communicate has been multiplied by, by a million. Like we can put our thoughts and our emotions and our whatever we want to, we can put it out there for the world to see in an instant. And we want that instant gratification um, back to the social media, back to technology. We want that. We need that instant gratification, especially with kids who are un not developed yet. And this comes back to our conversation about kids having phones, you know, um, and, and Jimmy Grimes, what, what age? Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Grimes. It's a tough world. Then you throw COVID-19 and quarantine and then you start, 
taking Oof. individuals and you lock them up in their houses. Um, you know, you tell people to stay home when some people are hanging on by the thread that is, I get to go to the gas station every day and talk to my friend, Jimmy Grimes, who's the teller there. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, little, little things like that, that people overlook, like there may be people out there that are hanging on by literal thread and just going to the library every once a day means the world to them. Um, yeah, I mean, think about kids, right? I mean, a lot of kids right now going to virtual school, not being able to see their friends, right? I mean, I think that when we talk about mental health and its effects, generally the older you get, the more stable. And I know that's not probably the correct way to say that, but you get a little bit more stable when it comes to your mental health and being able to uh, know what's going to affect that. When you're growing and maturing and have that evolving mind and brain, you don't necessarily know exactly what to do to kind of stabilize that. Uh, so it makes it 10 times more difficult, exactly to your point. I think, I think grounded is probably a better word than stable. Yeah. Not, not saying like stable versus insane, but like grounded, like we have a lot, a lot of life under our belts that we can, that we can attach to and say, this is me. I've gone through these things. They, they, they ground you. Like you are who you are a little bit more. And yes, to your point, when you're a kid, you don't know up from down summers last forever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they do, man. Um, they do. But, you know, I think about, like I said, that connectivity, um, at a previous job I had, I was, uh, I, on a daily basis, I got to see little Richard, the little Richard. Um, and he was obviously much older in age and he was, you know, at the tail end. Um, but every single day he got up, he got out, he met people, he went for a drive and, he just, he lived to get up and get out, you know, even when health, when, even when he was told probably don't need to do that anymore, you could just tell that like picked him up throughout the day and very, very sad. But once COVID-19 happened and the people went away and I, you know, I don't know, but I, he didn't get out anymore. I would assume he, I mean, he passed away and I'm not going to say that's exactly it. He was very old, you know, but uh, I do think that it was one of those like, like Bear Bryant. After what, yep. what, 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 as as he was done six months, it was six, six months, months after, he after he stopped, re, stopped coaching, he passed away. And it's, you hear those stories all the time. You know what I'm saying? You have these things to live for. And you know, you're when your identity is so wrapped up in a thing, when that thing's gone, it, you know, yeah, it's, it's crazy how that can throw you out. You know? No, it, it is, man. It is. And, and, you know, I've got two, one, one point and then one story to that. So, you know, we talked a little bit about COVID and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole there, but I did hear this very interesting stat. I don't know what it came from. I can tell you, I heard it on local news up in Durham. So challenge them if this isn't correct. Okay. But they did say 20% of those who are diagnosed with COVID-19 within three months are also diagnosed with a mental health disorder. So 50% of the time it works every time. Exactly. Sex Panther. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, but then as far as an actual story, you know, we're talking about Bear Bryant there. Again, this is one I don't know if it's 100 percent true, but this is what I've been told my whole life. My grandfather uh, lived, uh, you know, he died of cancer and he died, I want to say, probably eight months, if that, after I was born, if that. Gotcha. He had moved in with my parents. It's my my mom's dad moved in with my parents when she was pregnant with me and was basically, he, he held on until I was born. Yeah. And so there was a lot of 
a lot of old pictures and, and stuff of like me taking naps on his chest when I'm a, you know, baby, baby infant. Right. I yeah. mean, and so, you know, but, but you're right, man. It's, it's the mind controls so much. And one little thing that you connect it to, you know, whether it's a, a grandchild, whether it's, you know, your pro- profession, you know, in football, whether it's being able to see people that can control your life, like literally yeah. your life which is insane to me. That brings me to two other kind of points that I think about often with this subject is one, how mental health affects physical health. Yeah. Um, and then two, the, the very odd conflicting trajectory of both of those things as like, maybe not health, but intelligence and maybe like knowledge, let's not say health there, but it's, it's crazy to me how, your entire life you're learning and you're improving and you're, you know, hopefully getting better at things and stuff and you're learning more and you're making more connections and mentally, intellectually, you're, you're, you're going up and up and up and up and up and you get better and sharper at things. And the whole time your body is just degrading and breaking down. And it's just crazy how they're going at those opposite levels. And then at the very end, Everything goes down. <laughs> and then everything goes down. You know, it's just, it's crazy to me how people, you can hit your mental prime at 50 and your body has been breaking down for 20 years. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a sad, sad reality. I remember, I remember the first time I was ever met with this concept of just mental versus physical was, I think, college soccer, if I remember correctly. It was, uh, it was a coach or someone was talking about how it's sad that these soccer players at age 17, 18 are about to hit their prime when they're 20, 21, or, you know, between 17 and 21, but then they go off to school and they quit playing. And it's like right when they're just getting it together and the mental hits the physical, like right in the middle sweet spot, they go off to college and they stop playing or they're, you know, pushed out of, you know, the way American soccer leagues are set up. But what are your thoughts on, on how mental health affects physical health? Well, I think it's funny and to relate it to a subject that you just were talking about and something that I think we can both relate to a little bit better. You know, it's almost looking at it the same way from like a uh, community college or a JUCO, right? Some of these players who haven't fully developed physically, but maybe mentally there, they go to a year or two at a a JUCO and they come out and they're ready to go. I mean, so it is kind of funny. I mean, it's definitely real. It's definitely there. It's definitely something that, you know, is very evident right between the the physical and the mental and i i do think you know you know i mentioned it earlier the lebron james i think that app is called calm i think I don't, I don't know but i know he has a commercial out for it talking about you know hey you know the body takes on all this stuff but really the most important thing is your mind right um so it uh more people are realizing that and, and more people are trying to understand that that's really what you have to be able to control and be able to to grow and be able to sharpen uh, I mean, cause that, you know, I mean, like we kind of just talked about and just laid out your mental state and your mental ability can really control your entire life and your ability to live or die. I mean, it is that extreme. Right. And it's, it's one of those for me, I think about, especially with, again, with age, when you're young, I don't think I didn't, I wasn't thinking about these things, but now that I'm here, it's a tool that you can use. If, if I'm, there's, there's a point where I'm, if I'm physically healthy, then I feel mentally sharp, which is weird. So if I'm, you know, if I'm not drinking as much, you know, on the weekends or whatever, cut down alcohol intake and even like caffeine sometimes, you know, with coffee and energy drinks and stuff, 
there's, there's a perfect balance there that I can feel sometimes where like I've hit the gym a couple times in the week. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthy mentally. I'm getting better sleep. I'm, I'm staying more sharp. You know, when those two are aligned, you know, the endorphins are kicking in and, you know, you start feeling good about yourself. And then I don't know, it's just something like you can just be more productive and just life is just better. Flip side, it's funny how when things start getting difficult or adversity comes maybe out of your control or whatnot, I'm like, man, I'm gonna go pick up a burger fast food. I'm just going to go pick up fast food. I just, I need something to make me, I said, I need some comfort food. And then as instant soon as I'm done gratification. eating it, instant gratification, as soon as I'm done eating it, I'm like, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and it's a spiral. And then it's like, well, I'll get off work and things are rough. So I'll have a couple beers and then I wake up the next morning. I don't feel great. And it's just funny how those two physical and mental kind of can feed off of each other. It's, pretty wild it does it does and i think you you kind of laid out a good start there right so you know i think both of us neither neither one of us have suffered too much from any type of uh, of uh you know mental health disorder you know i definitely have gone through phases in my life where depression has been a part of it uh, i will admit that that is something that i have had to battle through from different times it's things that my family has had to deal with at different times uh but you know taking it from a step of having a few beers after work or getting some junk food, try to get that instant gratification and feeling bad later to that next level of how do you really take care of your brain? If you can't stop that, right? right. If you can't stop having a few drinks, if you can't stop, you know, eating junk food, if you can't stop doing these I mean, things that you know is bad for you and your body, but it becomes that level of just mentally, you can't stop. Right. I don't know if that we can go down the addiction side of things here in a second and, and how that really is a disease and, and kind of a, a mental health disorder in my mind. Right. I don't know if that's the same way you feel. Yeah. I agree. Um, but you know, once, once you get to that point, what do you think? Like how, how, how can you deal with it? How can you go about that next step of trying to get that sharpness back? I guess. Yeah. You brought up a really interesting point to, you said sadness. And then I think, mm -hmm. A really a, a difficult thing is where's the line between sadness and depression? You know, and I think people think about clinical depression as something that is just uncontrollable, regardless of the situation. There's people that are on the surface seem very happy. They've got a lot of success. You see this a lot with with millionaires, with actresses, with actors, with, you know, fame. You think about those things like people that should be really happy. You should be, quote unquote. Um, but then they have some sort of clinical depression. So flip side, those sadness, maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, this is my, my personal opinion, but the world and life in general is full of adversity and sadness. And I mean, like we're all going to die. That, that's a pretty harsh reality, but that's death and taxes. Right. I mean, um, so where, where's the line between sadness and depression? I mean, yeah, 2016 was really sad for me. I don't know if I would say I was depressed in, maybe it was a form of depression, but nothing that I couldn't kick, you know, it was just a lot came at me at once, you know, death of a friend, divorce, those things are sad, but I think maybe sadness is temporary, a little bit more temporary. When I think about depression, I think about some sort of maybe chemical imbalance that just pulls someone down, even when there's no, no stimulus to do that. No, nothing bad has happened, but, but there's an uncontrollable thing that happens. I, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is that 
Well, you know, I think that's probably to a degree. Sure. I think that's also probably, you know, a little bit more based on the experience of the person. Right. You know, I definitely don't ever want to be the person who says, you know, hey, you know, you're telling me you're depressed. I'm telling you to suck it up and let's go. Right. You know, I don't ever want to be that person because you do want to try to respect somebody. Because like I said, it's definitely more subjective. It's harder. You can't take an x-ray and see depression. It, it, it makes it difficult to try to understand what that means from a person to a person. I think once you get to that level, you can't do what you were talking about. You can't kind of overcome it by yourself and, mm. and uh, you know, get through it. You almost have to have some sort of help, whether that's medical, professional, you know, friends, right? You know, if that's, you know, you're Jimmy Grimes, you know, talking to him, you know, every morning, maybe that works for you. And that's great. But that's, there's some kind of outlet, right? There's some kind of something that you need where you personally can't overcome it by yourself. I don't, right. That's definitely not a technical definition by any means. Right. Uh, but, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that I see it a little bit, um, you know, because I think, you know, something like therapy, something going along those lines is it's worthwhile. I think it's definitely something that, you know, if, if you need it and you can get it, which I kind of want to talk about in a second, just the ability to get therapy, you know, you should. And we're not experts, so. No, not at all. Yeah, we, we're, we're not using any sort of scientific terms outside of just colloquial language that we use and know. So, so therapy, we briefly talked about this before we got on today. I have never been to therapy myself for me, you know, there was probably some times where I probably, you know, should have seen some your therapy van. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> so here is, here is, that's where I'm going. I have always kept really close friends and I'll be honest, it's therapeutic to have those conversations. And, you know, there were a list of people that I called. I still call Like we just talked, we just had the friendship pod. I mean, I think that is my way of coping with things and bouncing ideas off of people and getting my emotions out there. I'm not a very guarded person in general. I I will share with, I will share what I'm feeling and what I'm going through with people, um, which I don't feel like is, was the norm up until again, recently, especially for men. But uh, I, yeah, I've never been to therapy, but I don't think I'm against it. I think, I think for a long time, I thought to myself, well, I should be able to fix me. So that's, you know, easy. But now at this point, I don't, I don't think I would be against it. I do feel like it would be beneficial, but it's also one of those, like, this is a shallow comment, but if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. So it's like, when things are going well, why do I need to go to therapy? Why would I need to do that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, only when things are bad, but then it might be too late. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah I think, um, I've kind of got, yeah, two two points on that. So I've been to therapy. Uh, I went when I was in the Navy. Um, we had, I dealt with a, uh, you know, a friend's death. Uh, it went, went pretty rough. Uh, so it's not a lot of stuff that I can really talk about, but it is something that I had to go through. And it was, uh, I had a really good chief at the time, uh, who, who told me that I needed to go, I needed to go talk to somebody. I needed to go kind of figure some things out. And that was definitely more circumstantial at that time. I didn't really go into kind of a depressive state or anything that like that. It was more, more circumstantial for me at that time where I just, I needed to kind of just grieve a little bit. And that's kind of all that was at that time, because for some of the things that we did, we weren't allowed to talk about that with other people. 
Right. And this was one person that I was allowed to do that with. So, you know, I was able to, to kind of get some stuff off my chest and, and, and go with it from there. So that was definitely more circumstantial. But to your point, and to one of the things you said, right, I mean, you, and you said it, right, it's a little could be perceived as a little shallow. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I Listen, I kind of have that same mindset. But then I can also sit here and make the argument that, yeah, it may not be broke, but could it be better? Right. Could I make That's it sharper? Great, could I? Exactly. You know, could, you know, it's it's the whole argument in business all the time is, you know, at, w- at what point can you make it, you know, more efficient, right? I mean, you know, it's 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 that kind of drive and mindset. Now, the thing, though, uh, about therapy and, and getting that, especially to those who really are at a point where they need it, it's not as easy as, you know, uh, as naive as I think I or you may be about trying to get it. You know, one of the things that I really kind of found out kind of prepping for this was really that only 40 percent of like psychiatrists will even take insurance. So even if you have insurance, only about 40 percent actually take it. Gotcha. Right? And even then, insurance has this thing where they won't reimburse you or pay for therapy because it's, uh, you know, a mental health thing that they can't really prove unless a second opinion doctor, which is on the insurance payroll, deems it medically necessary. Wow. What? Well, that, well, that hey, twice on this pod, I'm going to say it, but that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I'm surprised you didn't hit him with the my goodness. It's, it's funny that you bring this topic up, considering that Kimberly and I just signed up for health insurance together tonight. That is kind of a, a nice and, little coincidence uh, there. You know, it's so nice that they, you know, it's like, okay, we want you to pay $580 a month for two people. And, uh, okay, cool. That man, you know, if that's the game that we have to play, sure. What, what do we get for $580 a month? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, actually really nothing unless you like get in a car crash and are seriously injured and, uh, yeah, so there's that. But also, yeah, we do check, take check, cash, or card. I'm like, uh, well, what? Well, hold on. So, uh, yeah, you know, I I would say I'm surprised, but after the last hour that I just had <laughs> setting that up, I'm not surprised. And, yes, again, that sucks. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's crazy. So not only, again, for some of the physical things that you're talking about that we would probably deal with on a more basis, but, you know, the mental, right? It's, right. it's wild. It is wild to me that insurance companies are allowed to get away with these kind of just ridiculous behaviors and, and procedures and policies. And what's funny is it's against the law. In, in 2008, uh, the Mental Health and Addiction uh, Equity Act was passed by 89% of the House, 89%, meaning bipartisan support. You try to tell me anything ever that gets 89% in this, in this house Shocking. Uh, it's it's crazy because everybody understands it's the same thing, right? I mean, mental health, physical health should be treated the same, but there is nobody keeping track of it. There is nobody actually enforcing that. When you actually look at the different federal agencies that have something to do with mental health, it spans over eight different agencies. There's over 120 different programs. There's no federal regulation on really any of it. And it, they are so severely understaffed to try and keep up with any insurance policy. If you actually look at, at who really looks at insurance policies, I think there's like 500 people employed there at the Department of Labor when it kind of rolls up. So that would mean about one person per, I think it was 10,000 
insurance plans and you just did one and don't understand your one yet these this one person's supposed to control 10,000 and enforce yeah. those and get out of here it's not gonna happen it's so not why, gonna happen so why why is that well, i mean I, I know that the law and government usually lags behind society they're just they're always playing catch up always there's something reactive new. it's so ridiculous it's how always, reactive it is always reactive because i'm going to answer my own question i asked why but <laughs> i think i know i think i know why and it's money it's money right so i mean it would be so difficult to go try to convince a bunch of politicians that hey we need to go spend a billion dollars on something that's not a problem yet they're going to be like but i've got 30 other problems over here that i need to pay for now and you're like, yeah, but this is going to be a problem. It's kind of like global warming. I guess the same same deal. Climate, you know. Yeah. Uh, hey, we need to spend a couple billion dollars on something that's not a problem, but it will be a problem tomorrow. We are stupid. We're stupid. Like, people are dumb. They're like, it's it's like one of those where it's like, hey, I will give you a dollar today, but if you wait till Friday, I'll give you twenty five dollars. You know, we're going to be like, man, I dollar. Could, I, I'll take the dollar now. It's like I'll I need a Mountain Dew. Yeah. Give me a dollar. Exactly. Um, no, it is. It's it's so reactive. It's so ridiculous. And you are a hundred percent correct. It is all about money. That is what it all boils down to. And the money that these insurance companies invest in lobbyists. I would love to have a full pot on two different things we've kind of discussed here that I don't want to go dive too far down into. But we you can. Know, health we insurance. I would love to talk through like the health insurance and that stuff. And I would love to talk about lobbyists. Because I will go off on both of those things for quite a while. But in continuation of your money answer, which, yes. So it, it's, it's funny. I mean, what did we used to do with people that we deemed, you know, kind of mentally ill, right? You know, way back in the day, way before you and me, we throw them in asylums, right? You, remember, you, you know, now you see all the haunted asylums and stuff that have been abandoned and all that kind of stuff. There's a point here. You, Give you me mean, a second. You mean, you mean Arkham Asylum? Like Arkham Batman? Asylum, like Batman. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so in, in the 1960s, uh, JFK actually passed legislation to abolish asylums, right? And he wanted to develop treatment centers. So the problem was, this is great, right? This is great legislation. This is a great thing to kind of get going and, and doing and actually treating something proactively for once, which is nice. But it was never properly funded. It was never given what it needs because insurance companies who can then send – let's take addiction, right? Addiction is probably the one that we can relate this to for the, the wider audience as a whole. There's a thing called the Florida Shuffle, all right? And it's when somebody who is addicted goes into a rehab facility, uh, you know, does six months, whatever, comes out, they're clean, fall off the wagon, go right back in you know say rinse repeat right until they die and the best way that florida does it is that they collect insurance money for all of this stuff and it's just money on top of money on top of money and it's it's wild to me that this is allowed to happen but the thing is with rehab facilities specifically especially in the state of florida did you know there's no real law to actually set up your own rehab facility we could move to florida right now buy a buy a house buy a couple horses and say oh this is going to be a rehab facility come to us give us money and you can pet a horse and we'll have you cured of your cocaine addiction how is that right how is there no regulation over something so serious I don't very understand serious. it. I mean, life and death serious. Life, very, I mean, very much is. life and death. It's because um, of money. It's because of that money, man. We're a greedy, 
greedy people. I know, and and we keep coming back to this, but you know, think about big pharma. You know, it's the same Oof. deal. You know, we're not going down that right now, but you know, it, it's how do you move an immovable object once the system's running and it's churning and it's cranking out money? It's the same thing with the social media companies. It's the same same exact thing. We've got these systems and these things that are, they've gotten so big and they're moving and it's a it's a 1000 ton train. How much do trains weigh? I was going to make a, I was going to make an analogy, but think about imagine like okay, how about 100 <laughs> cars on a train? 100 carts? What are those segments called? I'm, I thought they were I'm cars. Jacking, I'm jacking this cars. Up. This is right. not even close. Just imagine that train. How do you stop that train? It's 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 incredibly hard. It's hard to stop a train. I think that's a commercial. That's, that's a commercial. That's a commercial. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's difficult. It's definitely all of the money. One other thing that I thought about because we were talking about money, having money, how how having money affects mm. mental health, right? It's so difficult to pinpoint this because people that have a lot of money are very unhappy. People that have very little money are unhappy. And then you have people that have a lot of money that are happy. And then you have people that have nothing and they're literally the happiest people on the planet. So how do you reconcile that? Is it, is it, is it the search for money? Is it this, is it a search for great glory? Is it a, I mean, things, is it capitalism? Is it, you know, uh, shallow obsession of possessions? What, what, what is that? Dude, it's definitely a materialistic society that's just been developed yes. over time. Right now, not to make light of this, but for some reason, a lyric from Bo Burnham just popped into my head when you were talking about this. <laughs> this is one of the old, old Bo Burnham, like what we watched in your mom's math room. All right. There it is. Like, sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, uh, what did he say? He goes, Yeah, money can't buy you happiness. But have you ever seen somebody not happy on a jet ski? It was something along <laughs> those lines. And Dude, is, yeah, are you sorry. sure that's Bo Burnham, though? I thought it was. It might, oh, it might not be. Oh, no. I'm going to have to yeah, maybe, maybe, this who knows? maybe it's Kevin Hart. I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't know. For some reason, Bo Burnham's the one who popped up in my head with that. But anyway, no, I mean, no, you're 100% correct. It, it's just acceptance of the world that you're in. And if you're part of that, world that's just become so materialistic so you got to keep up with the joneses next door and if you don't have it or you're not more than them you're miserable it's just it's just not right and it, it's a societal issue that honestly i don't know how to even address I, that 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 issue is almost too big to to try and fully yeah you stumped me man i don't have an answer I, for something I, I found it i don't have an answer money doesn't buy happiness <laughs> will stump me every time i uh, i agree you, are you marking the date and time? Is this time stamped at this no, point? No, 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 got no, me? no. At least I think this is right. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to pre-read this so he doesn't say anything bad that I have to cut out. <laughs> money, money doesn't buy happiness. Uh, do you live in America? Because it buys buys a wave runner. Have you ever seen a sad person on a wave runner? Have you That's seriously? It. Have you try to frown on a wave runner? You can't. Who Daniel said it? Tosh. Daniel, Daniel Tosh. Tosh. <laughs> Oh man! Another okay. great one. He goes hard in the paint, bro. He does he, go hard. In he the actually paint. That's he goes he goes so hard that sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't get on board with that one. That one's a yeah, lot. Yeah, there's there's sometimes it's a little too far. Tosh, man, 
So, Whatever. Yeah. but I think it's also, how do you spend your money? What do you spend your money on? Kimberly and I had a really long conversation the other night about, you know, if we had more, we would give more, we would give back more. Don't know if I talked about this on the podcast yet, but if I have an opportunity every day, if one thing comes my way that I can do something nice for someone, I do, I try to do it. I think we talked about this. I don't we, think we have. We haven't. Okay, cool. So like, if there's a moment and again, like, I'm at work right now. So I'm literally, you know, I'm helping people for uh, throughout the day, but if I'm at the grocery store or somebody needs, you know, I try to find something nice to do. Um, if that moment kind of comes across my day, I, th- I think it's how you spend your, mo- your money. You know, you don't want to be the Ebenezer Scrooge who's got all this money and doesn't spend it with anybody, doesn't share it with anyone and just, you know, sinks in misery. Right. I, I feel like, you know, using, if you have, if you have money, spending it on people in, in good times and, you know, experiences, experiences. Right. Cause that's, you know, the money's not coming with you to the other side. No, I mean, I think that's, time. I like that a lot. That's really, really admirable. And no, we hadn't, we hadn't really talked about that. I like that a lot. I mean, it's, it's true though. I mean, you give you know, anyone, someone, you know, I mean, somebody less fortunate, somebody just doesn't understand, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about my brother and stuff before, but it's just the little things with him. Like, I mean, and it comes back to you and it's not money. You know, I think if I had, you know, we're, we're on the grind, but again, if I had more money, I think I would help more with, with more things, but we were in Alaska and, uh, which is where we got engaged and we were on a beach one night and there was this older man who came out of the water on a kayak. He'd been fishing all day. Like I would say probably sixties, you know, seventies, maybe like older. We're like down a, a big incline, a big hill to get down to the beach. And like, he's trying to get his kayak up the, up the hill. And it was, it was a large kayak, a lot of fish. And like, you know, so it's one of those moments where there's like 40 people on the beach. Everybody's kind of watching him struggle. And it's like, okay, we could just sit here or we could go help this dude. So I just walked over, you know, grabbed the other end of the kayak and helped him up the hill. It took like 15 minutes. It wasn't a big deal, but you know, probably, you know, made his day. And honestly, at the end of the day, I felt like, I felt like I did one good thing. And if that gets passed forward, that's, that's absolutely great. And to tie this back into this episode, that makes me feel wholesome as a person. And that honestly gives me a little bit more, you know, if we're talking about on the mental health scale, you know, that's kind of, I would like, I like that to be my identity as a good person that passes along good things. That's, that definitely is one of those things that kind of grounds me. Listen, I think uh, on the sliding scale of mental health, you definitely on the – I got every one, every one. I'm going to get it in. That's great. I think that's uh, 100% kind of right on to, to really what we're talking about and, you know, how you can deal with and help, you know, those uh, uh, who may be in a difficult situation, a less fortunate situation. You're talking – relating it back to the kind of the mental health aspect of it. What I find still a little bit of appalling about this is that, you know, I talked a little bit about the asylums and getting moved into uh, therapeutic centers. Those therapeutical centers not really ever getting built and, and updated and funded properly. But do you know where those people actually ended up going? Over over $2 million a year basically end up going to jail. And yeah. jail has become our biggest psychiatric help center. Which is dangerous because that's not a... <laughs> When I think about jail or prison, I don't think about mental wellness. I mean, I don't think about that. I don't think about anybody helping them either. Yes, I know. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, hey, these people did their time, so they're, you know, rehabilitated and ready to come back into society. Prisons uh, do prisons, in my opinion, do not. I, I don't even think this is an, an argument. 
there's no rehabilitation going on. I, I really, nope, not, not maybe, mental. maybe in individual circumstances where maybe someone finds faith or finds, you know, education while on the inside, maybe, you know, but yikes. From, from a mental health perspective, you're not getting the help that you need by being in a prison. Right. No. And I think that the same argument can be made for police officers in general, right. Especially in the, the time that we're in now and the past, you know, six months, uh, however long I may be off on the timing there, but since George Floyd, right. And, and everything that has come along with the black lives matter movement, which then kind of moved into this defund the police movement. Um, just real quick, I'm going to address that, but I, I agree with what Obama came out and said this just in the past couple of days that he doesn't agree with the, the, the fund, the police slogan. Because that that slogan honestly did more harm than it ever did good. What you mean and what you're trying to get is, uh, you know, criminal justice reform. And that's something I think that a lot of people would get behind. But by saying this slogan of defund the police, you're not getting there. You're making it 10 times worse. Now, what I believe in and what I think should happen and kind of bringing this back to our, our topic here is there needs to be a reallocation of funds or better training for our police, but our police are having to deal with mental ill issues and mental ill persons because we don't have those therapeutic centers that are dealing with them. We don't have uh, psychologists that are trained and actually anywhere close to half of these people to be able to help. Our insurance isn't helping them out because they're only paying for 40%, even if you have insurance, which, again, we can go down that rabbit hole. But our police aren't equipped to deal with it. And what's, what's even scarier is that literally half, half of all police shootings are a result of dealing with a mentally ill person. So, man, this is huge, huge for me. I can't remember, I think it was a police officer, maybe in one of my law classes that was talking about this topic specifically this past, you know, earlier this year. You hear it all the time, but I've seen it time and time again you know, working downtown with homeless people or with people that are either, I guess, fine line between drugs and mentally ill, or maybe the one in the same, but, you know, police get called out to deal with someone that's, you know, drugged out or that's just acting erratic. And, you know, I mean, they're trained to deal with those issues in a certain way, you know, and they're not mental health experts that are trained to like work with people and maybe deescalate, you know, um, that, I'm sorry, that was a broad sweeping statement. That's not what I meant. I just, you, you know what I'm getting at. But, but no, um, that's... It, but it's, if, if there was a way to reallocate 20% of the resources from that type of training and then maybe, you know, give more to social workers, I guess it would be social workers that, that handle that kind of stuff and maybe, you know, again, reallocate some funds to better, you know, deal with that stuff. Also, hey, what did we talk about before? We're reactive, right? So we're, we're just reacting to something that's already happened. But if you could proactively, you know, move those funds over and fix some problems before they become shootings in the streets, I mean, you know, kind of you, seems, you would think this makes common, common sense. sense. Right. It's, that's someone, what it is. Someone should put us in charge, Corey. Dude, I'm trying. I, I know. I know you are. <laughs> I know I'm you trying. are. It's, it's not the last point, but it's definitely – a point I want to make because what you just spoke to is 100% right on. Now, lately, it's been more of an acceptable topic to talk about. 
you know, it definitely has been more open. More people are coming forward talking about any mental health challenges or issues that they have dealt with personally, and that's great. But as a as a general public, as a whole, really, if you look past collectively over the past 20, 30 years, the only time that we as a country even try to address this or talk about it is when there's a mass shooting and we're being reactive, right? right? Yeah. And it's always, hey, no, that guy, he has mental health issues. I don't even know how he got a gun, right? He, he did something wrong, right? Which we can go into gun reform, and I would love to talk about that too. So we can add that one to the list. For another but day. It's, it's another one of those things that, you know, if, if that really is the truth, which the American Journal of Public Health did come out and say less than 5% of the 120,000 uh, gun-related killings in America are due to someone with a mental health illness. So, you know, kind of take that for, for what it's worth. But if that's really the case, if it really is, hey, this person is, is, has a mental health issue and that's why they went on this mass shooting spree or whatever it is, then why aren't we doing something about it beforehand? Why are we just doing something now? Or why are we talking about it now and not doing anything? That's right. the part that really pisses me off. Because it's if we're gonna if we're gonna say it is, if we're gonna say that this is a result of it, we don't have to agree necessarily that that's the case. But if it can get us to a resolution to prevent the next one, then why aren't we doing it? It, it brings me to uh, another another question. Um, so we talk about fixing it, doing something about it, treating it. I'm thinking about treatments for mental health disorders. Obviously, there's a, a, a large range of things. My question is medication. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I feel like it can lead to abuse really easily on certain types of medications. So what are your thoughts on on, on uh, medication as as a treatment for that? I think, obviously, therapy is one way to go. Um, but, you know, to be honest, there's some people that have gone through so much stuff. I mean, you talked about PTSD a little bit. Some of that stuff is there's there's demons in there and they're not going anywhere, you know. So, well, yep, no, 100 percent. And to your point that I think you made towards the beginning of this, you know, there is definitely some chemical imbalance, um, you know, not necessarily maybe in 100 percent. You know, I'm def no doctor by any means. and I don't want to pretend like I am. But I would I would bear to make the argument that, you know, in a good position or in a, in a good portion of the, the amount of people who do suffer from some type of, of mental health issue, there is some sort of chemical imbalance. And, you know, whether or not you have that person to kind of talk to, whether it's, it's therapeutic, whether you have a, a psychiatrist, whether you have a doctor, whether you have friends, those people do still may need something a little extra, right? You still may need some type of medication. Here's where it kind of gets twisted again, because if you fall in line with almost like the opioid addiction, right? When doctors were prescribing opiates, you don't, you don't want to fall into that same pattern. And, you know, we, we don't want to rinse, reuse, repeat when we know right. that this is wrong. So right. there, 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 there's not good enough regulation around those type of, and honestly, it's not necessarily the issuance of those type of drugs. It's the regulation around doctors and insurance companies and big pharma, again, uh, are who will lobby for legislation to allow them to push these things. Because, again, we get back to the greed and the money and doctors get paid if they prescribe, you know, this opiate. And it just it just keep it's a cycle. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. So this is one of those realizations that I had a few years ago that absolutely blew my mind and. We may talk about lobbying and health insurance and stuff later, but on this specific one, I worked for a company that handled 
patient surveys from hospitals. So you better not violate any HEPA thing right now. No, no, (laughs) just kidding. No, no violations there. This is pretty general knowledge. Uh, This is general knowledge. If you don't know out there, when patients go to hospitals, uh, a certain amount of the patients are emailed surveys to complete, and they're basically rating the hospital. And there's a list of all of these different things, you know, was, was it clean? Uh, how was your experience with your doctor, with your nurse? How long did it take for people to get there? All of these massive, you know, I think there was like 30 questions or something. Then there are certain companies out there that collect these surveys. They put all the data together and then they send it to the government. Based on these surveys, the government issues federal money to hospitals. So billions of dollars, kind of a big deal. So this is how they get taxpayers money. I had this job where I learned about those. And then a couple months later, I got a job at a law firm and worked on some bills. And I kind of like got to see some of the opioid crisis, you know, meetings and committee hearings and stuff. And one of the craziest things was the two worlds collided. And the number one question on those surveys that were federally mandated, like it was a federal, you know, statute that said, this is, these are the questions that need to be asked. The number one question was, how was your pain, was your pain level reduced after your stay at the hospital? Was your pain level reduced after your visit to the hospital? That was like the key question. And so in doing that, what's, okay, so that's the cause. What's the effect? The effect is doctors started treating pain and they tried to reduce the pain because they needed to get that federal money. So what are you going to do to reduce pain? You're going to prescribe pain medication. You're going to prescribe pain pills. So big, that's how it started. That's literally how everything started. And you can, you can trace it to this one key thing. And so one of the biggest things that the politicians were trying to do was go back and instead of treating pain, let's treat other things, the underlying condition. People, they stopped treating the broken leg and they started treating the pain. It's crazy to me how little, little things, just a little wording can turn into an opioid crisis. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So to your point, it's, it may, it may just take a, a little, a little twitch, just a little thing to turn over to make these big impacts in society. And that's where, that's where politics and the law are so important. Cause without that, you know, people aren't going to say, all right, I'll give a billion dollars to this problem. That's not a problem yet. And it's crazy to your point, just with that example you know, it's it was one word. It was it was pain, pain, right? Yeah. But the semantics yes. of that one word, and I hate the semantics debate and saying which word over. We all know if I'm having a conversation with you, ninety eight percent of the time you're going to know what I'm saying. All right. Um, I, I get there may be some different phrasing and things that I might use that might be thrown off to a few people. I, I, I do get that, but. I'm going to say majority of the time, you're going to know what I am telling you and what I am trying to say. But semantically, when you get down to something like that, the legalese, Mm -hmm. one word, dramatic, dramatic impact. From one year, one L year, law school, words matter. They say that to you and you're like, yeah, of course words matter, whatever. And then after years of doing you that. see something like then that all of a sudden you're like no i mean the difference between ain and or very small but like massive i guess that brings us to the ultimate question which is what do you you know where what's the solution where do we go from here and is there a world 
is there a perfect world where we're all mentally healthy? (laughs) Is that, Listen, that, you know, there's not a there's not a perfect pod where both of us are mentally healthy. All right. We, yeah. <laughs> you're, just, hey, you're right. There's not. We pick, right? hey, we pick mean, each other up when we're down. Right. <laughs> the, the, that is just a human person. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean you're right, wrong. You know, you're, you're tall, you're short, you're fat, you're skinny, you're mentally healthy. You're not. You're still a person at the end of the day. The way that I would think about it and, and where do we go from here? How do we how do we help? As you know, a, a simple moniker, kiss, just keep it simple, stupid. Like, let's not try <laughs> to like, overcomplicate this. I don't know if that, everybody kissing everybody. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know, know what that means. I don't know what that means, man. Uh, I mean, cool, you know, you <laughs> love know? you too. All right. uh, uh, but teach their own, man. That's you know, cool. <laughs> I think that we've, we've gotten to a point where we've become so reactive and where we have, you know, how I mentioned eight different federal agencies that are involved in this with over 120, you know, programs going all different ways that aren't managed the same, that have different outlooks that are trying to do different things. It's too many. We're trying to throw, you know, uh, we're trying to take a handful of darts, throw it at a dartboard and hope something sticks instead of taking our time, planting our feet, staring and throwing right. with one. Right. I mean, we need to have one particular agency and whether that, you know, that, that falls under, you know, the surgeon general or wherever the hell it falls under, I, you know, that part, those semantics I would need to work out. But I, I do think you need something concentrated on it. We have something concentrated on your physical health. We don't have something concentrated on your mental health. We don't have, the, the 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 government you know guidelines really trying to help with that we don't have the things that are trying to help with addiction we don't have the things that are trying to help with depression or PTSD the VA listen the VA is part of my health care plan because of the way that I ended up leaving the Navy after my shoulder and and I'm appreciative of everything that they have I mean I've had three shoulder surgeries and I haven't had to pay a dime for it and that's great but let me just tell you, they ain't they're not the greatest when it comes to trying to treat PTSD and different mental aspects of that. Yeah. They're, they're not. So I guess my question, I mean, like, you know, what's the goal? Where are we going at the very end? I, I don't not to be negative, but I don't know if there's a utopia where everyone is cheerful and happy and everybody loves everybody. You know what I'm saying? But I think unless you strive for it, then we're really lost. I think the goal, like I said, with me doing the trying to do one good thing a day, like trying to just do my little part to help, you know, when we're surrounded by, you know, poverty and war and divisiveness and hatred and drugs and guns and beer and cigarettes and drugs. And I, did I say drugs, <laughs> you know, you know, the world is a harsh place. I mean, it, it, it is, I think life as a human can be really difficult. And so I guess for me, when I think about what the goal would be is I'm going to try to change the world in as whatever means that I have, however I can do it, I will make my small impact. And, you know, I always talked about when all of this social justice reform and everything came up, I kept thinking to myself, like, I'm going to be an attorney and I may not be on billboards and I may not, you know, the world may not know my name, but if I can make some small steps and impact the couple hundreds, if not thousands of people in my sphere, then maybe in some way they can, they'll take that with them and so on and so forth. And you hopefully running for office in the next 
handful of years, I'm sure you, you know, you're thinking about the same thing. How can I positively impact the world? A ripple, right? A ripple, right? And in, and until we have that, then then we're not going to go anywhere. So it's time to get off the sidelines. You know, if you're, I, I did it for a long time. I was like, well, I don't like this stuff, so I'm not going to say anything. And I don't, I don't agree with this, but I just don't want to get involved because it's messy. I mean, I think we're at a pretty, pretty important time in our history as a country and really the world that we need some cooler heads to prevail and get out there and start doing some good, some positivity, do some positive stuff. That's my two cents. Yeah. One of the, one of the things you just said there, you know, is for a long time you were kind of silent and quiet and on the sidelines and not really able to get in. And it doesn't take a lot, you know, MLK had a quote that our lives began to end the day that we become silent about the things that matter. And, and I think that, you know, when we look at something like mental health, it's definitely something that matters. And it's not something that we can see on an x-ray. I think I said that a couple of times. It's not something only that three you can times. look at. Only three times. Corey, well, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that you could just look at somebody and diagnose. It's not something that, you know, everybody's going to show and wear that emotion on their sleeves. There's plenty of people around you right now that are probably putting on that facade saying they are extremely happy. Everything is great on the inside. Everything is broken. Yeah. So just to what you said, trying to do one kind thing for another soul a day is huge. And, and if, you, if you can't do that, smile. Just walk around and smile. Say hello. Be friendly. I mean, just little things like that can have a, just a momentous really reaction with somebody that, that you may never know. You may never realize what type of interaction that you have with this person and what it can do for them in their day. You know, that ripple becomes a wave. It's all it takes. Maybe, maybe that ripples just a smile. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode on mental health. As a reminder, you can interact with us on Twitter at talking underscore B underscore S. And you can, of course, find us on all major podcasting platforms, including Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify Podcasts. This has been another episode of Talking BS.